Well, 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 how's it going everybody out there in audio land? This is the first part of a two-part series covering Sam Hyde's Jaihu's Trip to the Future, the ebook slash audiobook. Please enjoy, and we'll catch you on the other side. Hey, how's it going, universe, meta-universe, multi-layered, expansive things? This is the inaugural episode of Zoobox Goes to the Library. Oh, yeah, we talk about books sometimes. We do. Usually it has to correspond with a movie. You know, we're these kind of people like, I ain't reading something. I ain't going to just read a goddamn book. We decided to make an exception. Because today, there's no movie for this yet. There's no movie for it yet. I hope someday they do something wild and crazy. That'd be great. But we're going to be talking about Jaihu's trip to the future. It's simple economics. If you don't buy, you lose out. Now I'm sucking you. Written by Sam Hyde. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... Dan Prophet. he's great. This guy who's right here, the past and future guest, Dan Prophet. Hello, everyone. He wrote, he wrote a little something on Instagram a couple days ago, and it is kind of the perfect opening and synopsis. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read your thing. Uh, it's uh, so we will be discussing the 2020 ebook audiobook Jai Who's Trip to the Future, written and read by Sam Hyde of the criminally underrated comedy troupe Million Dollar Extreme. Take a trip with us into the wasteland of the near, near and far future in the most hilarious and horrifying sci-fi dystopia ever conceived in fiction. Too verbose, irreverent, multi-layered, and bizarre to be summed up in a paragraph, this satire of modernity taken to, to the extreme deserves to have a scalpel taken to it. Is a mad genius from a mind of an outcast comedy legend or just the ramblings of a man on the verge of coming unhinged himself? Both, maybe. We'll find out next week. We'll find out tonight. On Zoobox goes to the library. Or perhaps we have already found out, and the audience is traveling from a different time to perceive it in a completely different way. Maybe they're traveling, in fact, from a completely different dimension, the DMT dimension. This is very possible. What's up, freak bitches? I see you out there eating your vegan feasts. Yeah, right before I came in here, I was doing some anti-racist Tai Chi, and uh, Joe Rogan came in and actually gave me a 35-minute lecture on how I'm just a uh, biological mammal uh, that should eat mushrooms and get closer to God. Yeah, and like, what he, like he says, Don't be a pussy, don't be a dick, and kiss, I mean, choke the shit out of guys. Choke the shit out of guys, don't kiss them. Yeah, that is the absolute wisdom of 1,000 years. Um, <laughs> The machine goddess didn't like to hear it, but if it sounds at home like we're speaking in complete gobbledygook, that is because that this book is so layered in its verbosity, intentionally over-verbose, so that everything is kind of hard to listen to at some point. 
there's yeah. so much going on. There are so many little phrases that that say that convey so much all at once, and they're all happening one right after another. That sometimes, like Sam said in the um, in the in the reading over Christmas, <laughs> this book is so fried because the whole thing is like packed with that shit. So after you get through one third of it, it's just like. Uh, it becomes very like uh, textural and abstract. It's like uh, uh, psychic driving or something like that. Like the shit, the words don't even matter anymore. And it's like, well, what, what, how can that be something interesting to listen to? It's because it's hilarious. It is yeah. so fucking funny. It's complete stream of consciousness. Like it is like the distillation of. 10 years of being very online. Like, it is, it is, if you are, like, kind of came up in the past 10 years in, like, internet culture and about, like, you know, the coming culture war, everything that's been going on, everything that's kind of out in the open now, like, in, and to Sam Hyde's credit and Million Dollar Extreme's credit, they were kind of way ahead of the curve uh, with their comedy kind of attacking these subjects. It's very much that. It's very... Um, Well, like I said, it's stream of consciousness, and it's it's so dense with footnotes and parentheticals that go on for pages that it is so easy to lose the thread of the actual story, even though the story itself is not that complicated. And, dude, when I wrote this, um, <laughs> I wrote, like, there's, like, two or three points. There's, like, two or three points where um, I started down some really... Uh, this is uh, written by John, uh, me and John Pellick and a couple other people, by the way. But there were a bunch of points where I started down some really important path <laughs> where I was like, yeah, I'll just conclude this later. <laughs> and then later on, I forgot to tie it off or to make it come back to the main, uh, the, the A-line the plot. So there's parts, um, <laughs> there's parts in the book later on where it's like, uh, <laughs> you might... Uh, you might be wondering what happened with the big race. Turns out Jaihu won it all, like wrapping it up in one sentence. Because, you know, I was, I was like trying to go back in my mind, like kind of like, okay, what is this fucking story? Like, what is it actually? Uh, and trying to like kind of like divine that. And it's when you really start breaking it down, it's not that complicated. It's just everything that's in it, like you said. Like it's overly verbose on purpose and... Goes on wild tangents about things that have seemingly nothing to do with the what's going on in the story at that moment, and uh, it's very tangential. And it's but that's the best stuff about it, though. Like that's what we're because he's clearly just like trying to. He found like a way to kind of satirize, I think, popular science fiction of the moment of the past ten years, and then wrap it into everything that everybody's been talking about, like in terms of. Uh, it's like it's like a <laughs> the the most extreme red pill, right? Right. Yeah. And you know when when you say that it's stream of consciousness, that's true in one way, but also he took the time to have it very well edited and honed. When he has that list of people at the beginning that I hope you cut to right now. Yes. You know Jordan Cornbread and all those people. 
those are actual people when you you can search these reddit threads where throughout the years sam has been posting chunks of jahu's trip to the future and being like hey guys what's wrong with this what's funny what's not working and he actually seemed to uh, credit a lot of the people who helped him out along the way putting the story together. And that's why I think it actually works, because while it is clearly, fucking clearly stream of consciousness from Sam Hyde, he also took the time to make it thoughtful and to have people comb through it and find inconsistencies and find stuff that wasn't actually funny and, and, and iron it out. Yeah, and I think I think that's like I think that's like it's I did not know that those guys were like from Reddit threads and stuff because it did feel it has a kind of a crowdsource feel and that's kind of their whole project I suppose in terms of what they've been doing over the past couple of years, but it actually it makes sense because it touches on all of the points that you would find in a Reddit thread like funny guys and Reddit threads that like to you know uh, shit posts and stuff like that. It's very much like that, um, and that's kind of cool that he did that. That he. I guess crowdsource the story to a certain degree, or crowdsource the editing, the punch-ups. Um, that's really interesting. I didn't actually know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it seems to be, uh, unless it was just Sam Hyde with about 47 different accounts, like talking to himself on Reddit, which I can imagine too. But um, as we were saying right before we started the call, I found it ridiculously difficult to take notes on Jahu because... Not only, uh, like like you said, you'll have footnotes within footnotes that have par- parentheticals that go inside of parentheticals that make you lost on where you're going, but also it's just kind of, I, I started to think like if we remark on every funny thing that Sam Hyde says, we're going to literally just recite the entire book. Yeah. And we'll get to the, the, the reciting, but um, we'll we'll try to talk more about what the book is about because, and why it's funny and why I love it so much and why I drag you into uh, listening to it a couple of times um, because I think it just actually says a lot about what we're doing. Sam Hyde has the knack um, of, of taking a look at what we're doing collectively right now as a society and threading it through its extreme, its most extreme mainline, all the way until it splats against the wall like a bug, and uh, showing you all the guts of that little bug. And that's what he's doing with our entire civilization, um, put forward first 50 years, and then uh, like 150 years. Well, exactly, because that's the whole thing. It's like every the extreme of every kind of uh, paranoid Reddit thread you would read. It's the extreme of it. He takes it to like its most, not logical conclusion, but... He takes it to this place and ends up giving a very interesting commentary on that because of it, and kind of shows uh, the the circular nature of it, the like the the weird hypocrisies that are in there. And he does it through this great character Jaihu, who's just like this, uh, almost like he's almost an ah shucks guy, right? Like he's he's yeah. like this he's like an innocent kind of dude that's just he drank the Kool Aid, he bought into it, even even to the end of the book. He's just like, love that Khaleesi. Like, she fucks him over. He has his girlfriend that's kind of a thread throughout the story. And uh, she compl- she treats him like garbage. And he's like the beta male, the, the simp guy. And uh, even at the very end, after his entire experience of enlightenment and becoming a hologram and a cyborg and, like, all this stuff, he's just, like, really disappointed me when she left me. Like... <laughs> Because she told him he's gonna leave, she's gonna leave him for like other guys. He's like, you know, this has been fun. This has been cool. I know you did all this kind of for me, but uh, and I love that because it's like this. It is this. Uh, 
It's not even just an archetypal through line for a character like that. It feels like a fucking a riff on a Steven Spielberg type of story. Like, that's who that character reminds me of. He's like a, taken out of a Steven Spielberg thing. Because it was a couple weeks ago, and it was before I had finished it, before I had like really gotten to see the whole piece, I was like, oh, the Rosetta Stone for this feels like it's kind of like Ready Player One, which makes sense, because that's like 2012. Snow Crash, the uh, cyberpunk book. And then I started reading more of it, and I was like, oh, whoa, this is like way more, way more than that. Because there's elements of like Kafka, the trials in here. God tells him no one could enter this door. I'm going to close it. Some commentators have pointed out that the man came to the door of his own free will. And we're supposed to swallow all that? It's all true? We needn't accept everything as true. All is necessary. Where Jaihu just never is told what the fuck is going on the entire time, even though everybody's just constantly shifting him to different dimensions and different places and different times and... And uh, and he never telling him why, but just insisting that he needs to be there. And, and, and um, the, the debtor's prison that they send him to, where they, like he can't pay for his French fries, so he's like violently arrested by officer, aka savior. Yeah. And uh, you know the drift racing cop who drifts him to jail. You're in deep shit now, kid. Us safety heroes is don't take too kindly to low life debtors like yourself. Hands behind your back. You're coming with me. I'm protecting you. I'm protecting you. Three, two, one. Hands behind your back. Ten, nine, eight, seven. This ain't a promise, it's a threat. Six, five. Respect me. Four, three, two. Don't make me do this. One, put your hands behind your back right now. Time's almost up. Five, four, three. Do it. Two. Put him on your back, citizen. One. A safe T flashbang went off, and Jai, who seizured his way down to the floor. And then, uh, also, uh, I, I know more about fucking drift racing now than I've <laughs> ever known in my life. I didn't, uh, like, uh, six months ago, I didn't know what a tile blow-off valve is, but now I, I, now I know. Um, and uh, this, this police officer takes him to debtor's prison, where he the, the way to get out of debtor's prison is to take this worthless cryptocurrency and then gamble it up into this slightly less worthless cryptocurrency and try to keep gambling until you pay your quote-unquote debt to society. And, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, you're right, the element of Kafka, of, of like the never-ending struggle against this um, ridiculous bureaucracy that won't even explain itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then it just gets worse in the future. Yeah, it gets more convoluted. There's just more layers, and now there's not just secular stuff. There's esoteric stuff. There's just all of this bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit, which ends up being kind of the whole point of it. And what I do like about, and I like this about Sam Hyde in general, like he's after everybody. Like there's not a target. Like there's, he's not picking a side necessarily. I mean, he's going after the fucking the what do we uh. The libertarians just as hard as he's going up against like the the woke people. One of my favorite like little instances of the book is uh he's talking to Necromancer Z or Bice, and uh, they're talking about like the cryptocurrency and all this stuff. And and uh, Bice is like a hardcore capitalist, and he works for capitalism. And uh, and he admits he makes a reference to Atlas Shrugged. At one point, Bice invoked John Galt, then admitted he'd never read the book in the same sentence. 
like most libertarians, like, you know, yes, <laughs> like the people that worship Ayn Rand, but they've never read a single fucking word she's ever written. <clears throat> like, and it just made that actually made me belly laugh because I was like, that, that is like, that's so fucking dead on, like right there. <laughs> and, you know, Jahu is so committed to his liberal values uh, that, you know, he signed, he signed over a thousand moveon.org petitions, <laughs> but all that capital is M and Bice. A.K.A. Necromancer Z have to do to get him to literally bash in a room full of Haitian children's heads with a baseball yeah. bat. <laughs> oh just like, give him this like Matrix uh, fucking architect speech. Yeah, about, you know, like and and and, and, and like every it's literally the architect from the Matrix. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and like almost every person of authority in the movie slips into like an architect number at some point. Like, yeah, he cribs from the Matrix, specifically the architect bit, so fucking often it's fucking ridiculous. Well, this is another thing I noticed. Like, you know, because as it exists right now, like if you go to Gum Road, and I'll have a link uh, in the description. Please go support the the boys over there. Um, it's like it almost feels like they're they're different. Like every part feels like a different satire like the last part i was like well that's definitely the matrix like the whole last part is like fairly like kind of loosely structured around the matrix like kind of the broad general idea of the matrix especially once you get to the last chapter um ending beginning like that feels very much like he's like he's a neo character like more than he had been in previous chapters of the book. Like, you could make the argument, I suppose, that, yeah, that's kind of the point, that's the through line, but it's, like, very specific. Like, no, this is, like, the one character all of a sudden. Or not all of a sudden. It was earned. But I just, I noticed that, because the first part's, like, the first part's, like, Ready Player One, Initial D. It's, like, kind of more, like, fast and fun and, like, like quippy and, like, because when I first talked to you about it, I was like, dude, this would be, like, tons of, like, everybody would love this book. This fu- It's fucking hilarious. Then I read the rest of it, and I was like, no, maybe not so much. Like, it's definitely not for everybody. But that first that first three hours is very, like, I think, uh, accessible to a lot of people. Yeah. Like a, like, a lot of people. It's not until you start getting into, uh, like you said, like, the stuff with the DMT zone and all the stuff that happens in part two, which is, like, uh, chapters 11 through 14. And then part three is like very much like the Matrix, and you start kind of getting the real sense. Everything starts coming together to a certain degree, I suppose. But well, uh, it does come together. I do want to point out, without too many spoilers, this early in the episode, but we will do spoilers later on. Yeah. So how do you, how do you fucking have spoilers for a fucking story like this? But um, the, if you go into the actual book, there's more. I I I think there might be one more. Uh, or Sam, if you're out there listening to this, you should do the one last. Um, audio file of the audio book which will include the final chapter of the book in which Jahu like completely turns everything around and it changes everything. Yeah, it's uh, the ch- it's chapter 21 ending slash beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, which is weird because it's like three, four pages long. And I was like, yeah. why isn't that in there? And maybe there's a reason. I don't know, maybe there's a reason. Because it's like, I think, if what I understand, if I if I understand correctly, it is like a work in progress. Like they have not finalized everything. Um, I, I think they've pretty much finalized everything. But if you go further into the book, they have like the credit section is pretty long. He has like a, a really extended blurb for everybody, and then there's a whole section with unused ideas. Yep. Where uh, they're fucking hilarious ideas that I guess a lot of people from Reddit or Sam came up with that didn't get used, like uh, oh, a, yeah, 
John who travels back in time and a meteorite hits Europe and destroys Europe. And then when he goes back to the future, we've like, because Europe has been destroyed and white people haven't been in the way to, to hold everyone back, we're like exploring the stars and shit. <laughs> that would be great. And he's also got a guy who travels to the set of SNL in the future only to find out it's been overrun by lame, unfunny right-wing comedians and writers. He sent on a mission to free Lena Dunham and Jimmy Fallon from Guantanamo Bay by drifting <laughs> past the guards into their cells and bringing them back to Hollywood so they could save comedy. That would be amazing, actually. And then he's about fight. He fights Syrian rebels. Like, yeah. Also, absolutely. he even has a section that says things I forgot to write. Yeah, see, I haven't even like uh, read that stuff because my, my primarily I've taken it in while I've been working. That's yeah. when when I'm working is when I have time to listen to stuff, and and so I ended up listening to the audio book of this probably, and I'm not exaggerating in whole. I probably listened to it about eighteen times. Mm. over the last four months because uh, as soon as I heard it I fell in love with it it was, it was the freshest fucking thing that I've heard in a long time um, it was funny, it was poignant and it was ridiculous and it held my attention <clears throat> and like uh, like we were talking about it, it, it's something that you can like switch your mind off to and then come back into whatever thing you come back into at that moment you don't need to know where it came from or where it's going. You just need to know that in the moment is very hilarious. Oh and yeah, there's, there's so many work yeah. and actually find the threads that actually connect all the stuff. Yeah, if you're like in a vacuum, there are just so many things that are, and it's distracting. Like, if I were to like give like a criticism, that is that would be the one thing. It's just like it is hard to follow. It's hilarious, but on a first time, on a first time, it's something I would recommend people go and like. Probably listen to the audiobook and then maybe go read the book. Actually, go read the the actual the text version because there's so many accompaniments and pictures, and they did a great job, like kind of changing up text styles and like adding like weird little things here and there. There's all sorts of extra shit in the book. Although I would say what you get out of the audiobook, you get like a you get an extra layer, and that's Sam Hyde. That yeah. is Sam Hyde, basically, in my opinion. This is my opinion increasingly getting frustrated with recording. <laughs> there are moments where he's just like, where he's like, he, he becomes, it's probably not fair to say, and, I, and maybe it's a completely intentional thing. He becomes increasingly more aggressive as the book goes on, like when he's doing parentheticals, whenever he does the interacts, like he's being like way more, and he's just, and then every once in a while he'll just start like swearing, you know, Chewing gum very loudly. Oh, dude, that I was cracking up so hard. He's like, he's like, yeah, I guess I'm gonna, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're right. Like when you're, when I'm just in the uh, garage working and uh, packing up boxes and stuff, and I have it on, and I'm in my own little world, and it's this thing that I enjoy that I've listened to a million times. It seems very normal, all the shit that I'm listening to, especially the stuff at the end. And then Caitlin will come in to, like, grab some eggs or something, and I'll be like, what the fuck am I listening to right now? Dude, I have the same thing, because yeah, a couple weeks ago, you know, I was just trying to get through I was trying to get through it, so I had it on my phone, and I would just be walking around the house doing stuff and, like, making dinner, and I had it up, and my wife just, like, fucking came around the corner. She's like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I forgot you're fucking lame. No. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, you become immediately self-aware. You're like, oh, this is like, this is not for, 
<laughs> this is not yeah, for everybody. This, this is not for normal people. There's, yeah. there's something damaged about me that makes me enjoy this on a level. Uh, but like at the, at the end, when he's, he finally meets God, and God has like these weird multiple personalities, and he keeps like turning into a valley girl or something, right? And then he's like speaking like a gangster that's going, Is your butt a pussy? You take it up the ass, boy! <laughs> and, then, and then he starts like just straight up reading gay erotica about like pausing another dude with hiv i can't hold back anymore so i push into you deeper than before deeper than ever and as i feel my cock pop in your inner ring it explosions sending volley after volley of thick highly toxic cum into your guts directly deep into your body as i pump my high viral load into you you moan, and then I feel your cock pulse and hot cum shoot between us, coating my chest with your seed, as I had just done to your arse walls. I whisper in your ear, while you are still recovering with my cock in you, that I'd just given you the gift, and you are a part of my club forever. And yeah. that was when Ethan was coming to grab the eggs, and I was like, I hope that she's like distracted with Theo, or like <laughs> off in her own little world, or just actively ignoring what's coming out of the speaker right now because jesus christ what am i listening to but when you're in the vacuum of that moment of the story it makes sense and it's fucking hilarious yeah yeah 100 <clears throat> percent. like you can't i i guess i mean it's kind of just do you think like you know i i kind of open with saying this do you agree that it is kind of like you have to be kind of familiar with pretty familiar pretty closely familiar with like internet culture to really understand i would say like most of the references yeah i mean it's like you pointed out it's a it's kind of an extremely online work and dude at this point i'm not really an extremely online person but i'm yeah, still of an online person that i can get what's going on i know enough to like google certain references and figure it out but like when he says shit like uh people who have cool and sexy depops like i don't know what a fucking depop is okay i had to look that shit up and it doesn't interest me at all. It's like some fashion app or some shit. Yeah. It's like, damn, how do you fucking know about all this shit? And it's because he like, spent time in L.A. And he spent time, you know, in actual show business dealing with all these fucking vapid people who do stupid shit, who are completely absorbed in their own little world of absolute nothing. And that's kind of what Jaihu is all about. It's just the madness of being in this totally vapid, materialistic world and project that out a hundred years into a point where, like, advertising takes over your entire consciousness and you know speaks to you personally like a basketball player comes in and uh looks you in the eye and speaks to you directly in your own voice and tells you to buy under armor and then you like snap back to reality and you're like oh shit i need to buy some under armor yeah the scary shit about sam hyde's comedy is that he always makes fun of that being in 2070 after the paradigm shift he always talks about that shit's going to happen in like five years, dude. It's, it's like the, uh, out. Sam Hyde is the Alex Jones of comedy, where everybody's like 15 years later, you're like, fucking Alex Jones, he was right, god damn it. Well, well yeah, when he, did, when he did his uh, 2070 paradigm shift in like 2014. 2070, future, now, what? What? He was saying stupid shit at the end when he's making his predictions. Most of the major cities will be replaced with vast pleasure domes used exclusively by the Excelsiites, who are the neo-upper class, while the displaced hordes of lower-class depth grovelers will live underground in tiered cities, endlessly toiling away for nuggets of neoplasmin.
race riots, extreme racial tension and unrest. Sorry, in 2070, gay people are going to be allowed to get married. Get used to it. 2070, gay men have actually developed reproductive organs inside of their area, and a new generation of children are born from inside gay men. State-enforced homosexuality. I don't have a problem with that. It's equal. Facebook has your birth certificate. Mac iPads built into every school desk for every child. You're probably thinking this is some pretty deep stuff, and you're right. And, you know, some of that stuff is, ostensibly has come true. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in Yahoo, I don't think is that far away from being a total reality, especially the stuff that he talks about in terms of advertising, like logos that you look at it and it's a shape and color that makes you feel a certain way that you don't understand and, and sparks a craving in you that you didn't expect just from yeah. looking at the logo. Like, how fucking far away are we from knowing psychology and the brain well enough from fucking marketing people to have that kind of access to your psyche. It's already happening. I mean, what do you think? Like, Instagram, like, Instagram is probably, in a weird way, it's, like, very insidious. Because I always hear people talk about the marketing on Instagram. Like, how I've heard more and more over the past, like, year or so, people just being like, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know why I bought this. It just got advertised me on Instagram, like, 100 times. I clicked it. I was like, oh, okay. I hear that actually a lot. And not, not like, a from people I know. I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like throughout the week and uh, I hear people talk about that like kind of like passively joking about it but they actually did it. Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, that's interesting." And I think it has to do with just the way uh, the psychological triggers of imagery and the way the, just everything you were saying. Like they've kind of mastered this thing where it's like um I would, I don't even know what the right way to put it is. It's just like it's like that the repetition of the images, the repetition of a, a singular style, and uh, it just gets in, crawls in people's brains, and they can't like get away from it. It becomes like this undeniable kind of need, this like lust for material possessions and stuff. And like, and listen, and I'm no like, I'm definitely a victim of this. I'm definitely guilty of this. Like, if people don't know, I have a small problem with buying movies, and. <laughs> Although, I don't get advertised to. I have to go out of my way to find that shit. But lately, though, I have. I've noticed advertisements alerting me to sales all the time. And I'm just like, uh. And I've been able to kind of move past it. But I definitely noticed that it's had an effect on me. Because now I'm always searching for, like, sales. And I'm, like, looking on Reddit. for Like, I never did this before. Yes. Never did this before the past two years. I, I would always bought movies. I always collected movies and stuff like that. But, uh. I never felt like compelled in the same way where I feel like I'm making dumb decisions with my credit card. It's dumb the first credit card, and, and now you have so many more dumb decisions to make. And one of the things that he brings up is like the come up. We, you, you know, people used to talk about how everything is being commodified now, but now literally everything is being commodified with like NTFs. And there's at one point where he's talking about uh, Kylie's poetry. And he's like, wow, how can you put a price on poetry? And then he says, buy poetry coin. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. Like literally, yes, you, you can literally put a price on anything. We could sell this podcast as an NTF and put a price on the experience of watching this podcast or, or being able to distribute it. Or like I was joking about taking videos of my slaughters and like digitizing that video file. And like you can own the final 
moments of the life of that animal as well as a box of meat from that animal. I mean, that kind of shit is like straight out of the pages of Jive. No, I was going to say, like, you are actually the dark harbinger. Like, you're the guy that's going to, like, make things. You're going to push the envelope, be like, yo, you want to see the last moments of this animal's life? People are going to get a hunger for it. They're going to get a thirst. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to be getting black market NFT or NTFs or whatever the fuck they're called from China of people being executed. If I was savvy enough and I knew how to set those fucking things up and deal with the blockchain and shit, I would do like five of them right now just to see how it would go. And I, yeah. uh, I guarantee you I'd probably make about $26,000 off of each one of them. Because there's some fucking dude out there, there's some rich dude who needs to launder some money through art. And nobody wants to, you know, you can't, it's harder and harder to launder money through art anymore because literally everybody knows that nobody wants to pay $4 million for, like, a canvas that's covered in some guy's urine. Like, nobody fucking wants that. So there's, they found this new uh, avenue to basically dump their fucking dirty money tax-free. And uh, well, that's why, like, you know, tokens. Well, and that's, and that's, like, the same thing that they talk about a lot in Jaihu, too, is, like, uh, you know, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency is obviously, like, a big running joke or theme in, in the thing. And people would do the same thing. That was always what they'll say, the regulators, like, oh, well, this is people are going to launder money through Bitcoin. And everybody, like, has this wild fantasy that Bitcoin is going to be, like, this uh, currency of the people controlled by the people. Like, You're out of your fucking minds. If you're paying attention, banks are buying into it. Like that stuff is going to be re regulated in ten years, and everything else is going to be right. outlawed. There's going to be three of them, and everything else is going to be outlawed. Right. But, anyways. I mean, but just that, like people and there's a bunch of people in Keene that just got popped by the FBI because they had their own cryptocurrency like ATMs and shit. No shit, really. Yeah. Oh wow. In fact, one of them was the um, uh, transsexual. Uh, woman of whiteness uh, who ran for sheriff. Oh, okay. And so if... if uh, Actually, I'm sorry. She's a hate white. A hate white, yeah. Uh, that's her race is hate white, and she ran for sheriff. Um, and yeah, again, right out of, straight out of the pages of Jahu, except for the fact that in Jahu, Keene, New Hampshire, is a laser ghetto named Little Saigon now. <laughs> and it spawned the uh, epic uh, legendary rival drift racer, Trump Dumb Goon. Trang was a tough street kid from the laser ghettos of what was once Keene, New Hampshire, now known as Little Saigon. He grew up on a diet of shoes, bugs, and lint, so Jaihu knew he was hungry to win a race. It was a hunger multiplied by the fact that Goon shared his home with 6,000 relatives, and each mouth was hungrier than the last. Who drives a Honda tuk-tuk. Now, if you don't know what a tuk-tuk <laughs> is, if you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, uh, just, just Google that. And imagine the vehicle Tuk Tuk uh, it made into drift, uh, modified into a Honda drift race car. It's one of those, um, it's one of those like ta like three wheel taxi cab things that they use in like Asia and India. <laughs> dude, little shit like that. Like, oh, I had dude, I laughed so hard when he mentioned Key, New Hampshire. I was like, oh no, I forgot because you forget sometimes. I'm like, oh, he's like from around there. So like, yeah, it's from Fall River, Massachusetts, kid. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and and I, I, we can stop for a minute and just take a moment to talk about the fucking legendary drift race. Uh, that is the chapter that sold me on the book. That's the one that uh, 
it's one of the two that he reads in the Christmas reading. Yeah. It's one of the ones that is prominent and stands out in the re I remember the original reading of it. Like I think it was 2015 because yes, it was, yeah. um, it, it, I was either in New Mexico. I think it was in New Mexico when I first read it. And then I watched it again when I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire the next year when I moved home. Um, and it was very similar to one of the other live readings that he did called Billy the Clown. <clears throat> Chapter four. Billy's Big Black Cloud. The next day, Billy went to school again, absolutely sick with grief. All his friends knew there was something wrong with him, and they all knew it would be better not to awaken whatever rage was lurking by trying to help him out. Where uh, Billy the Clown ends up, or I, I don't remember the details of that, but I do remember at one point he ends up in a carbon fiber drift race car that has like a carbon fiber uh, milk crate that he sits on with carbon fiber glass and carbon fiber gasoline. So that like everything's made out of carbon fiber so it's so light that it drifts. And like Sam Hyde's obsession with drift racing, like, what's the obsession with the, the initial D in drift racing shit? What is that? I don't know, but like it's in a lot of like when he first started doing like vlogs and stuff, he was constantly like doing like go out to like abandoned parking lots and stuff and like just whip around in his car and then pull up to the camera and like talk for ten minutes and then just like do donuts and shit. So I think he's like into cars and stuff. Oh, I yeah, think. He's into cars and cars like car humor has always been part of Sam Hyde's like overall repertoire of thing like wells to go to. Like he always hates the car that he has. Uh, uh, he wants to kill. He wants to physically kill the people who design the car that he owns, and uh, um, you know, he he like wants to be able to do cool drift race maneuvers, but he's always in like a fucking Toyota Prius or something. Yeah, driving through New Hampshire. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's just like beating the shit out of whatever car he had. There's a great skit of him and Nick Roachford. Just taking these couple of pieces of crap and just driving them like in a, just it's like in a parking lot, just like beating the shit out of a car in a parking lot, and you know, he and Nick can pull comedy out of that kind of shit. I feel like you know it's got because he's like our age, he's in the in the in this age range. I feel like it's got to be. I bet you some of it's like because I felt like when I was listening to the book, I was like, oh, some of this is like Speed Racer, like the Wachowski Speed Racer. Yeah. Because yeah, that's kind of what that is, like this extreme version of like you know circuit racing, which is drifting and floating and doing weird jumps and your car flips over and all sorts of crazy anime bullshit. And then there's initial D. Like the more toned down version of Speed Racer. It's a little bit more realistic, you know? Yeah. I never got into Initial D, but I remember being a teenager and people, like, watching Initial D, and I just, like, didn't get it. I was like, why would you watch a show about drift racers? I mean, I grew up watching, like, you know, the Fast and Furious movies. I never got them. Like, I never was very interested in them. So, like, but, like, that was part of our, like, our, our youth culture, like, for our age demographic. Like, there's so many people that got into that stuff I hear all the time people like, dude, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, fucking rules. You can say what you want about the other movies, dude. Tokyo Drift, fucking rules. I'm like, all right, I'll take your word for it, man. <laughs> I guess yeah, now, yeah. now never, I should go back and check it out. I've seen Tokyo Drift this day. I'm sure you have, but I've seen like I think like parts of it. I've never watched the whole thing. Wow, that's it's yeah, rare. surprising. The movie yeah. you've seen parts of it, never watched the whole thing. <laughs> it is pretty rare because I've seen 
Dude, you know, I've seen all of the Fast and Furious movies except the entirety of Tokyo Drift, and they released the uh, the runtime of the new one. It was like three hours and five minutes. I was, I was like, thank Christ. I was like, that's going to ward off my morbid curiosity. There's no way I'm watching a three-hour fucking Fast and Furious movie, like smash cut to two Dude, months later I, in the I theater. The exact demographic that that is, is, is made for. Like, okay, they, it brings up two specific memories. One of them was at a Metallica concert where... Uh, me and a couple buddies were there to watch Metallica. We were like 18. It was a great fucking day. Um, uh, there was a girl sitting next to us. Lincoln Park was opening for Metallica. <laughs> and this girl was so fucking into Lincoln Park. She was sitting there in her seat like this. <laughs> and I was like, damn. We, like, we couldn't stop laughing. Like This girl was so into Lincoln Park. So that girl is the demographic for the three-hour Fast and the Furious. And then also, when I worked at uh, Vermont Packing House, there was a dude who went to see um, Kid Rock Live at some, like, county <laughs> fair or some shit. And he was like, dude, he's, like, one of the best singers, dude. He does everything. He does every style, dude. Rock, rap, fucking, he sings country songs, dude, everything. He he's a self-taught musician who can play every instrument in his backup band. Kid Rock lives large. He, he's one of the best singers I ever heard. That guy. Is who the Fast yeah. and the Furious is for. And, and it's like this idiocracy type shit where like, the, you know, I, it, talk about an inspiration for Jahu's trip to the future. I mean, Jahu is like as, as if idiocracy was written by an angry millennial who yes. got off his meds and like, like figure out how fucked up the world was. Yeah, for sure, 100%. I mean, it does definitely have that same kind of vibe. Actually, I'd say if you were the type of person that liked Idiocracy, at least give Jaihu a spin. At least give it a shot. Yeah, like, I mean, it's going to be a little heady, and it's going to be very offensive, and it's going to be offensive because it's not. it doesn't put on any liberal kid gloves. No. But, I, but, fact, I'll, say, but I'll say this, though. like His targets are wide and varied. He's, yeah, let's say this. It's It, it's, it sounds like it was written by... Uh, uh, a kid who just saw Idiocracy and then started casually uh, browsing alt-right forums. Alt-right and 4chan and stuff, yeah. yeah. No, it, it is. Like, that's that's definitely, like, the through line of the, well, of the, of the types of jokes that are in there. 100%. Yeah, so right off the bat, like, especially in the climate that people live in today, and if you're somebody who knows me um, personally, and they're like, oh, I'm going to listen to Jahu's Trip to the Future, and then you're like, oh, God, Danny thinks this is funny. Like, yeah, I do think this is funny. I think that the world that we live in right now is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, we have bought and paid for We Are the World. That's what we think is going to happen right now. That's what we have bought into because we have been watching fucking uh, one-hour procedural dramas and 30-minute comedies for the last fucking 40 years. We have no connection to fucking reality anymore. And people who do and people who point out the grim realities of reality and how fucked up things can and will get if you don't start taking life fucking seriously, that's what he shows in this book. And he doesn't pull any fucking uh, punches that you get on The Daily Show, okay? And I think, you know, like you said, he, he does go ahead and makes fun of everybody. In fact, there's a, there's a little poking fun at, you know, even like Richard Spencer and that kind of shit. In there. Oh, yeah, when he's part of like the algorithm, but he's like the aggressive part or something yes. of, uh, of uh, what, uh, what's the, what is the name of the... 
uh, the reading uh, computers. 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 Yeah. And computers. Uh, uh, Necromancer Z and Jahu are, uh, they, they've both won the book ripping contest. Jahu won by one book. And ripping the Dewey Rames version of the Bible, which is the Catholic version of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to the book ripping contest uh, <laughs> before this is all over. But they're like doing this like contest of genuflection in front of the president. And the president. To give the listener the idea, the president is actually just like a computer algorithm, and everybody basically gets to meet them for like accomplishing mundane shit in your life. So it's not really that big of a deal that they're meeting the president, but they're also doing this one-upmanship. Jaihu saluted, just like he'd seen in a movie once, while Bice bowed and put his hand across his heart. Then Jaihu attempted to stand at attention in the cramped diner-style seat. He was able to stand about halfway up, making his whole body rigid, but doing his best to convey honor and dignitas. Bice took one knee and spun in place while doing an elaborate curtsy to exemplify respect and show a restrained gratitude. But they're also trying to, while they're doing this genuflection, not look too overeager, like to impress, as if they're doing some sort of like East Asian honor ceremony or something. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Like the randomness of shit like that is just, that is right up my sense of humor's alley. That, that touches on notes of uh, the state and the kids in the hall. Actually, and, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. That gleeful, and also, you know, if you want to, if you're a boomer, you can take it all the way back to Monty Python. But my generation was, it was the state and the kids in the hall. Kids in the hall, like, yeah. Kind of sketch comedy that's just absolutely ridiculous, unabashed, and will tear the throat out of any sort of convention that you're talking about at that moment. Yeah. And like you said, each chapter jumps through its own little thing and. <clears throat> He's just taking stabs at modernity over and over again, and the stabs that he takes are fucking brilliant, and they're hilarious, and I'm not ashamed for laughing at this shit, and you shouldn't be either. No, because I think, like, you know, you don't have to, like, even agree, like, say, like, you don't have to agree with his assertions to find certain things funny, and this is something I think we've lost, completely lost the plot on as a culture when it comes to comedy. But it's, it's there to make you think about something. It's there to skewer something. It doesn't have to fucking align with your worldview. Like, it just doesn't. Um, like, I agree with a lot of the stuff, a lot of, a lot of, most of the, I would say, observations he makes in this. Like, I, yes, like, that's how I feel about things. That's how I feel about the encroaching kind of consumerist, even, like, capitalistic, just the weight crushing down on everyday people until they just give up. And they become somebody like Jai who just accepts anything that they're told. And this is just the way it is. And I love that when he goes into the future and stuff and everything's all these like woke AI programs that are supposed to be like the most perfect version of being like a progressive individual. And they're not even woke enough for Jai who like Jai who's constantly like, what do you mean? Brown skin. Yeah, he's brown. He's literally pulling out his pocket word police on like the, uh, the, what the machine goddess and machine uh, goddess, yeah, and the fractal elves, and like you know, <laughs> yeah, and and even God, like he he meets God, and God, the character of God himself is like a broken, uh, completely scattered schizophrenic character, but Jahu starts stamping his foot and and trying to think of an r slash atheist post that he can use against God himself. Yeah, and we can't think of one, so he just starts going, "Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me." 
And if you know, and if you're, and if you're an online person, you know this is like debate bro one hundred and one shit. Like it is Vosh, it's Destiny, it's uh, the Surfs, it's like all of these dudes. I, yeah, well, like, I would say Caleb. Caleb, not so much. Caleb Malpin. Yeah, he's a. I don't like him, but I do think he at least like under like I. I think his his what he says about. <laughs> Some of the excuses he makes for some some real horrible shit happening in the world is a little weird, but yeah. uh, I do think he yeah, actually Caleb, knows his Caleb history. He's not Caleb. You're a tanky. Yeah, you're a tanky, I buddy. Called that. You're a tanky. Like, but I do trust that he actually knows like history, uh, instead of like skimming a Wikipedia page while he's talking to somebody to say, "No, dude, you're wrong." Yes, and Va- and Vouch would be the type to. Skim a wicked. Thou should be the type to be in a debate with God about the existence of God and like appeal to his chat. Be like, chat, can you bring up the Wikipedia for God? You know how stupid you look to them. You are meeting every negative stereotype of the left right now because you look like a bunch of petulant children who are unironically angry at the idea that discipline is a positive character trait. And, and and think that because he has like a 130 IQ that he can, or, or he appears to, that he can pull that kind of shit off. I mean, at some point you're just flying on rhetoric. And uh, I think yes. that, you know, when you when you said that you envisioned uh, Jiahu as Vouch, that totally made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, like, I know that he's like, you know, half Korean. And like, and I understood that, but like, that's like like this dumb, woke asshole like that's the closest thing that i could like think to in my mind's eye i was just like that's who that is to me and then you see like his girlfriend and stuff like there's a famous picture of vouch's like uh she looks like shrek i guess i don't want to be an asshole but like like that's khaleesi and and he he is woke and uh argumentative about all the right things at all the right times but she still has to sleep with other men and um, which they have an open, very open relationship. So that's I what just happens. wanted to bring up though. You're actually um, you're being a little bit bigoted. You no might want to a hundred milligram dose of fluoridated chonga so that you can like, realign yourself and your chakras, because actually Jahu is splatinks, which or spurinks, sorry, yeah, which is yeah. he is he is Korean, but he's Hispanic identifying. That's true. I, I'm sorry. That's my bad. Apologies to Jaihu, the fictional character. I did not mean to besmirch you or your people. I also like that, though, Like it's like part of this woke hell where it's still okay to talk like mad shit about Asian people. Like, <laughs> like you know, because that's been like kind of the meme for a couple years where it's like, well, you know, they're minorities, but like, not really, because they're successful. Well, and also, I mean, if you really want to get meta about it, you could bring up the fact that, you know, amongst the Asian community itself, there's a huge amount of racism for other types of Asian people. Uh, yeah, dude, I used to that's live something next that to people you. don't actually know because they don't actually spend any real time amongst oh. communities of color. Is that oh. in communities of color, there are balkanizations of smaller groups that fucking hate each other. Yes, actually more than you could possibly imagine. Dude, I work with guys from South America, Haiti... Korea. I've lived in neighborhoods like very diverse neighborhoods and stuff like that. It is not what it's not the abstraction that people like not to bring them up again, but people like Vouch have. They have this like kind of like fucking like pedestal 
they put people on a pedestal without any real life like interaction or understanding of any of that stuff or how just people in general how poor people operate like it's just like i'm a poor person i could say this okay like <laughs> but like it's just like there's a there's a whole world that they don't understand and they don't like and those people have no interest in conforming to some sort of idealistic version of themselves because nobody does nobody does and I kind of like that the book gets into that a little bit. Like, they actually kind of start talking about those things and, and how actually all the weird stuff where they're like, uh, well, specifically with black people, and they're like, yeah, some weird stuff happened with Africa, and, uh, you know, they wouldn't... And also Islam. Footnote. Unfortunately, by 2177, the Muslim world has been reduced to ash. It's a long story, but suffice it to say, many of their adherents had ethical qualms about worshipping MasterCard in the same breath as Allah. And so it was pretty much unilaterally decided to end their relationship with the company, which is a State Department euphemism for uh, nuclear genocide. And, uh, you know, it's like, that's totally the bit, man, is that, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's, it's okay. They don't say what happened to Africa, but it's okay whatever happened to Africa because now we have Africa Remix. Yeah, and now we have Skippies, too. <laughs> The Skippies, which I think, like, if somebody were to listen to this and be like a normie, that is the thing that they're going to be like, this is really fucked up. In the main courtyard, a group of Skippies plays Yiffy Ball. Their sleek, tall, powerful green bodies easily slide in, out, and between each other in a primal dance of pure athleticism. Yeah. This is yeah, really yeah, fucked yeah, up. Because it's, 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 it's a Skippies are a very obvious uh, uh, stand-in for black people. Yeah, the, the most racist caricature of black people that you could absolutely think of. Like, take take the most ghetto shit. And listen, folks, especially the white people in New England that might be watching this, I grew up in the hood. There are some ghetto-ass motherfuckers in the hood that will take your shoes, okay? And they do not give a fuck that you have a Black Lives Matter sign in your front yard. No. All right? And uh, the, 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 the characterization of the skippies are those fucking people. They're real, they exist. Yeah, well, people, it's but like, they're there. It's, yeah, it's the stereotype of, like, you know, gangster hood culture, I suppose. It's, like, probably the closest thing, like you said. Like, it's just... Listen, there's just bad people sometimes, man. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that would be the one thing that, like, early on, even when I heard it, I was like, oh, because I just wasn't, like, acclimated to it yet. And I, but the thing is, like, I... I've watched enough of Sam Hyde's material. Like I trust Sam Hyde. But but listen, uh, and yes, we trust Sam Hyde. But he's not telling a lie. When they do the song "Rape That Bitch," is just a chant repeated over and over for seven minutes. Rape that bitch. Rape that bitch. Rape that bitch. Okay, rape that bitch. Cue future Sean. The, the, so the song the the book is published in 2020 with the song "Rape That Bitch" in it. It when I the year I moved to Boston it was 2005, nominated for a fucking Oscar, okay, and actually won that year was Three Six Mafia, for um, what was it the Terrence Howard movie Hustle and Flow Hustle and Flow was for, it about being a pimp here for a pimp. On the other track that Three Six Mafia had on that CD was a song called Whoop That Trick, Get a Whoop That Trick, Get a Whoop That Trick, Get a Whoop That Trick. 
Whoop that bitch. Yeah. Whoop that oh, bitch. Oh, dude, don't you remember when all your fucking jump is it from whoop that bitch to rape that bitch and you know what i'm sorry but as a as a grown man i have turned into the black dude at the beginning of that nwa song that says <laughs> man i got kids i don't want to listen to that bullshit <laughs> well no but it's true though because it's not like it's not that far removed like you said and i don't like dude i remember because you know like one of the things i've always been like jealous of sam hyde because i was like you know 2009 or whatever i was done with the band i was like oh, i should start like a comedy thing I had this joke, I had this idea about like a, a white guy becoming a rapper and uh, talking about like being gay, but then would just yell about killing cops all the time. And, and then, so like, I, yeah, I get like, because that's, it's not that far removed from actual, like what you actually hear in hip hop, like you said. I mean, don't you remember like back in the day when you were like in your early 20s? I don't know if you had this experience. Like, every fucking foppish beta male I knew was like, dude, you gotta watch American Pimp. That's some real shit. Like, the Hughes Brothers documentary about pimps, which is what Dave Chappelle, uh, you know, the ha player haters ball? You know that sketch? Yes. Well, he, that's based off of like a real group of people in a real ball. And uh, the Hughes brothers did a documentary in the late 90s, early 2000s called American Pimp. And it's disgusting. Like, it's awful. Like, it's actually interviewing real pimps. Who are the worst? Pimps are some of the worst fucking people on the planet. No, scum of the earth. But they're like, yeah, dude, that's some real shit. That's some real shit. I'm like, what the fuck do you know about a 20-year-old guy from Australia who's here on his fucking mom's dime? Go fuck yourself. Listen, I am a kid who, at the age of 13, moved from the poorest county in New Jersey to Keene, New Hampshire. So yeah. I have always been hyper-aware of white kids who are into ghetto shit and how fucking eye-roll-inducing that is. To Look, there are plenty of white people who actually do live in the ghetto. I'm sorry, Bernie Sanders, but that's the fucking truth. I'm one of them. Well, I don't live in the ghetto anymore. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, but, I mean... These people do experience that experience, and um, <laughs> it's like, you know, it, when you run into white people from the whitest places on earth, like Cheshire County or like up here mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Vermont, and they don't have any experience with that, and they like speak as though they're the fucking mouthpiece of black people, or like they know, like you said, the difference between what's real and what's not real. Well, this, it, but it's it's this fetishization, infantilization as well, and you're right. like you're fetishizing something that is actually causes people a lot of fucking misery, and that's disgusting. Like to me, it is, and maybe I'm just I'm becoming an old boomer, I guess. Like hey. I'm just like, dude, like no fucking way. Like, like I am because you hear, you see, like see, like people like uh, Cardi B and stuff, and you see what's going on in music, and like I feel like I'm like this old man now. I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like no, little girls watch that shit, dude. Like I know, this is I weird. Know. And, and 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 there's a lot about hood lifestyle that, like, listen, I enjoy. I remember when I brought my friends from New Hampshire down to New Jersey, and we went to a fucking cookout in the Third Ward down in Millville, New Jersey, and it was absolutely chaotic. And we smoked weed with all these ridiculous ghetto folks, and it was a fun ass fucking day. And there's those kinds of things from the hood, and then there's also the things like WAP. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass p-word. Make that pullout game weak. From the hood that are disgusting, and you don't want to actually have kids looking at that, 
but you're you're not wrong. Well, but, but that's but WAP is not even from the hood. It's completely constructed to for people that are from there, so they act that way. It's programming. I was I was about sorry. to even say. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Jesus, uh, um, when you talk to like older black dudes, um, they were around when when hip hop came around, and some of them took a while to come around to hip hop. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, like, actually, we were going to do Do the Right Thing next, which I, as soon as I can come get my hands on a cheap copy of Do the Right Thing, we'll do it. But um, there is one of the older black dudes in that movie, <clears throat> as Radio Rahim is walking by, blasting uh, Public Enemy. The older black dude goes, uh, Hey, man, why don't you turn that shit off and put on some Bobby Blue Bland or some shit, man? And it's like, first of all, nobody fucking knows who Bobby Blue Bland is. <clears throat> <laughs> but there's that like you're right there was that um creation of like hood culture well that's where, like it, it, a, a, between the older generation and the newer generation and it's been exploited by the larger media to take all the worst aspects of it and glorify it and but in turn it in, in to commodify it to bring it back to kind of like Jaihu and the kind of some of the themes of the uh, of the story it commodifies and fetishizes this like aberrant lifestyle and says this is normal this is okay this will make you happy this is how you should live your life i mean that's the entire thing with the uh, the character you know just we're talking about wop that's khaleesi right like that's her whole character is this constant like circular logic and rationalization of uh, why she needs to live the life she needs to live and why jai who should just accept it and Yada yada yada, and like you know, obviously delivered in like hilarious fashion by uh, Sam Hyde. <coughs> but there is like a dark undercurrent. There's a dark truth to that stuff, where it's just like, no, yeah, I've talked to people like this, like you know, like when I was when I was especially when I was younger, and I, a lot of this stuff was kind of coming up in the zeitgeist again. Like there was this thing, like where people were very casual about. Not just sex, but just kind of abusing people. Like I don't, I'm not approved. Like I don't have pro Like you, you're an adult. Like you want to do what you want to do. I might, you know, go do, go for it. But there's like this casual nature of like treating other human beings like just fucking dirt, like shit that seemed like it was very mainstream. It was very like everybody was doing it. Maybe that's just maybe that was just me part of me growing up and and seeing it and realizing it for the first time. I don't know, man. The, the nihilism uh, seems to be on the rise. I mean, even, uh, you know, my, speaking of the hood, you know, my brother is still pretty well connected to some shit that's going down, uh, you know, out there still. And he's talking about, how, like, kids these days, they'll fucking shoot each other and then, like, go and, and like, they've been making, like, TikToks of, like, dancing on their enemy's grave and shit. Yeah, that's dark. That is so fucking dark, and well, because it's 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 the ironic, it's the time. But like you would think, like we you'd think we'd come a little further than like that headhunting shit. But, well, because because it's the it takes the irony of like of a meme of a joke, but then they actually do it. Like it's not a joke anymore. It's not a meme. They're actually just doing it now. And that's what's like, you know, because I used to be a nation, like, oh, whatever, dude, like, it's just jokes, just internet shit, whatever, people shouldn't take it so seriously. But now I'm starting to think, like, uh, as soon as I started looking into a lot of subcultures, as you know, Prophet, and if anybody, this, any new people out there, because this is, I think, the only review of this out there, so we maybe we'll maybe get some eyeballs. 
But uh, I do this thing called Nightcap, and oftentimes I'll go and watch videos of like kind of weird subcultures and stuff like that. And you get into that stuff, and you see how pernicious some of the shit is, and like the types of people that get in there and fuck with kids, basically, like the mig, like MIGTOWs and and uh, radical like fem Nazi chicks and stuff. Like, there's all sorts of weirdness going on where everybody's trying to coach a younger generation into their own trauma, their own their own worldview, like that they've developed because of their they have like their own emotional problems. And I see that coming more and more with kids. Like you said, like like who the like where does that come from? Like where does come where does it come from like making a TikTok of you dancing on the graves of somebody you disliked? Or or making or making an Instagram video where you fucking dome an old man walking down the street with a brick. Or making an Instagram video where you make an ironic, jokey Instagram about an actual abortion that you have. Yeah. Like, listen, listen, I'm not saying that I want there to be some kind of weird revolution in this country, okay, where there's some kind of vigilante justice and we get to put people like that at the end of a rope. I'm not saying that I want that to happen. I'm just saying that if that happened, I wouldn't miss those kind of people. Yeah, I mean, in Minecraft, is a wild game. But, I mean, modernity is what has ruined those people, and that's what Jahu is taking the, the piss over, is that human beings aren't just like this spit out of the womb. The, no. We, we become this when we're here. You know, every ba- having a kid has made yeah. me realize that every baby is perfect, dude. Like, yeah. listen, big wake-up call, person, right? And, and I know that there's a lot of genetic programming that snaps into place as our brains start to form and stuff. Sorry, people, that's true. But um, when you get those couple first years where everybody is just like perfect little angels, you know what I mean? Even though they're spitting and shitting and screaming and driving you crazy and you can't wait until they go to bed at 7 o'clock or whatever. But it's like, you know, once the malice comes in, people are so susceptible to it. And you really have to structure a society that curtails that malice and curtails that ability and desire to harm because, dude, when the human being attaches itself to the desire to just do nasty shit and then it's acceptable, oof, we really know how to drive home on being nasty. I mean, we have 15,000 years of recorded history of doing some nasty-ass shit down to the fucking Assyrians. Oh, we're one of the first civilizations that's actually going to record anything. And what we're going to record is the fact that we love to chop people's fucking heads off. It's like, you know, as an animal, we haven't come that far. And one of the things that, you know, it talks about in Jahu is that even in another hundred years, we're not going to go that much farther. We're just going to have enough technology to deteriorate our beings even more. Yeah, we just do it in a different way. There's always just a different process. of the, But having the same primal needs fed. I suppose, in some sort of weird, bizarre way. Like, yeah, the power structure will always want those things. It will always want that shit to happen. It always wants some type of conflict. But now, in, the, in, the, in what is it, 2177, where, where Jaihu finds himself, like, it's a world that is enjoys your suffering, your internal suffering, because they know that people know better. They know that people don't actually feel that way, but it doesn't matter. It's just that you conform. That's really all they care about. Like, that's what the system wants when he goes into the future, especially when it gets into, like, I, like the middle of part two. So it's probably, like, chapter uh, 12 or 13. It gets, like, very esoteric. It gets very heady. 
and he's flying through like hologram space and he's in different dimensions and he's having an out of body experience and that's kind of like the some of the main like the message of what he learns in there. He's like it doesn't really matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what you think. He's just like but just do what we want you to do. You're the chosen one. You're the one that's going to do something. Just do what we fucking want you to do. Like, good, I'm glad you have an opinion. Great. Just do what we want you to do. Because everybody, in a weird way, everybody is the hero of their own story. Like, and that's kind of part of, like, Joseph Campbell. It's part of all this stuff that's kind of baked into Jaihu a little bit. Is that uh, you're supposed to feel like Jaihu. Everybody is Jaihu. Right, he's an indigo child, and indigo children are all the... They're the oh, they're star, in part of, star particles. Yeah, they're in the starring roles of civilization. They were all star stuff. I actually was just looking at that note, so I just want to say specifically the part where he brings up the star stuff and the salad poop paradigm. And this is one of the this is one of the comedy bits that Sam Hyde has brought up repeatedly throughout the years. And this book does have a bunch of Sam Hyde comedy bits that he brings up repeatedly through the years. But one of them is the star stuff poop thing where he pokes fun at Neil deGrasse Tyson. We need Neil deGrasse Tyson oh. in this car. What, we need him on a green screen flying on a zoop, 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 zoop. Now it's time to go past the stars. You said I am, we are stardust. Yes. What does that mean? He says like, I want to sit down at a table with Neil deGrasse Tyson and I have a nice salad with some like fresh tomatoes and some nice lettuce. And he has a, he has a fucking bowl full of poop. Yeah. And I say to him, hey, don't worry. We can both eat this. It's the same thing because we're all made out of star stuff. <laughs> Coprophagia. Coprophagia. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Here's another one of my lists of uh, conditions that I didn't know what they were until I listened to this book. Oh, I... Alopecia, coprophagia, trichotillomania, and TMJ. <laughs> I looked up coprophagia because I was like, what the fuck is this? He keeps, he keeps saying it because it's one of my favorite parts of the book. I thought it was like one of the things that made me like really belly laugh was this part where he's like talking about coprophagia and then they're like the relative nature of time. You see, it is in much the same way that a healthy apple or salad is the same as a piece of poop. Ultimately, it is just star stuff. And so from this, we logically conclude that we should practice coprophagia. Do you understand, fellow thought wanderer? Time is an illusion. Can we not agree on that? Is there no more obvious truth than that one? Can we not also agree that if one is sexually attracted to another, time can play no part in that attraction, because time is not real? Ergo, this term that is bandied about, pedophile, is merely a semantic abstraction, and there is nothing inherently wrong with minor attracted persons or maps. We should all be shit-eating maps. Like the Aaliyah age is just a number argument. But it's not even fucking that. That is exactly what those fucking people say. Yes. That is exactly what those people say. A little self-plug. Go watch. I watched an old 90s documentary about uh, old dirty pedophiles. The wonderful thing about it was that it was no fuss at all. And they both went out of their way to flirt in their own way with me just with the joyfulness i mean just to say here's the play of life going on and here is something that's uh, not seen by others but seen and appreciated by me and the people who are participating we're having a little play together he's like they were flirting with me they were being nice they were flirting they were joking kids joking around oh it's flirtatious 
these kids wanted to fuck, fucking suck my dick. Well, it's called Chicken Hawk. Episodes, dude. One of the most painful episodes of Nightcap. If you're out there in Zoobox land, go check out the pedophile episode of Nightcap. Hit them up with the title. What is it? Uh... Well, there I did a actually just I did a clip of just watching that. So it's like I think it's like Sean watches a do, old documentary about pedophiles, and the name of the documentary is called Chicken Hawk. If you looked up Chicken Hawk on YouTube, uh, it's been like almost erased from YouTube. So I'm like one of the only results for it. Which hey, fair enough. But I like you know I was watching it. I'm like, dude, people, you gotta fucking see this because if you you think it was bad in 1992. You think it was bad back then in terms of people trying to weasel their way into activist movements and stuff? You have no fucking idea what the fuck is going on right now. Like, wake the fuck up. Anybody that's trying to, like, touch your kids, anybody that wants to fucking do anything with your kids, you should be like, yo, what's, what's going on here? What are you talking about? Like, I don't care if it's playing soccer. I don't care if it's taking them out for a smoothie. Like, you go say, like, what the f- what do you want? What do you, what's going on? But when, but when Jahu pulls out his uh, pocket rape detector... And he scans the uh, Filipino couple that's uh, adopting the kid. There's no chance of rape. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, also, another great part from that was uh, <laughs> was um, the Adolf Hitler is uh, also part of the universe. Therefore, he's an extension of like the love module. Jaihu was deep throat feasting on so many Beyond Meat, Beyond Sausage Brat original sausages that he nearly barfed. They were having such a good time, and the feasters reveled in the companionship of all past, present, and future sentient beings. Parenthetical, even Adolf Hitler, because he's part of the universe too, and therefore just an extension of endless love. And you have to love Adolf Hitler, and Adolf Hitler, and Margaret Thatcher, and all these people are sitting around the vegan feast. It's so funny when you said that. I was just looking at my note that said "Karma Dinner with Hitler." Yeah, <laughs> like everybody from all of existence, including Hitler and all his variants, plus Matthew McConaughey, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and everyone, including you, uh, is there. And everybody has to respect and love everyone, or the karma gets all fucked up. Yeah, and it's, but it's not just those people. It's not even just that Hitler. It's Hitler from every iteration, every timeline. Yeah. Yes, every possible dimension uh, of Hitler. And, uh, you know, Jahu is so offended at first when he sees all these Hitlers that he almost writes several Academy Award-winning movies about it. Yes, yes. Also, another great, like, uh, moment from that is when he describes the... He's describing the Vegan Feast with the simulacrum elves. And he's like, it's something like Harry Potter would be proud or something. And it made me gut bust. The simulacrum elves welcomed him to an incredible vegan feast, which he accepted telepathically. Within the sacred main chamber, there was a long bismuth crystal feasting table, piled high with vegan delicacies and treats, such as gluten-free pita bread, unsalted hummus, raisins, Ritz crackers, cliff bars, Tic Tacs, every different type and flavor of banquet frozen dinner, parenthetical, in the future, banquet frozen dinners are vegan, Huggies, Little Mouthfuls, Vegan Jalapeno Poppables, and Frothing Chalices of Almond Milk. Everything looked oh so delicious. It was similar to a feast Harry Potter might have enjoyed at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, except this one was ethical. Because that's, like, that's a very online joke about like making fun of everybody compares everything to Harry Potter. Uh, but that def- and he does it very aggressively. 
Yes, and and like like one of my favorite setups in the entire book, like the way that Sam Hyde set shit sets shit up is like watching two trains on the same track going at each other, and you know that they're gonna hit, and there's no way to stop it, and you're just wincing the whole time. Like when like they're at the feast, and you hear uh, someone go, "Hmm, hmm, that's very interesting, brother." So that's why you did it. Hmm. I wish we would have met earlier," said Malcolm X. <laughs> Hitler. <And> like, <laughs> the whole sentence, you know that something bad is coming. Like you're wincing, oh, yeah. and, and then it gets bad, and then it gets worse, and then you're like, "Oh my god!" And you're, and it's, it's so fucking funny. If you have any sense of humor whatsoever, it's so funny that you don't care how ridiculous and offensive it is. Which is is something that's interesting about like uh, Sam Hyde, and I think this is true because he said this in the past. He's like, I think he was yelling at Tim Heidecker. I think he called it the Tim Heidecker's podcast. He's like, I'm doing shit that if it came out in 2010, nobody would give a shit. You've been, you've, you've been pretty supportive of the effort to get the show pulled down. Because why? Because How it's so? racist, because I, because I wore blackface, which Sarah Silverman does 10 times a year. It's kind of fucked up. It's fucked up that my show was taken off, that our show was taken off because of because it was it's politically incorrect and it's something that would have flown... You know, 10 years ago, it would have been fine. Yeah. Well, that's the truth. Like, in Dan and I are of an age, like, we grew up with comedy that was actually, like, pretty edgy, considered by today's standards, right? Like, even your blasé Comedy Central stuff. Stuff that would have been on, like, at 10 o'clock on Comedy Central today probably wouldn't get produced. Like, we're, if, even, like... If, if Sarah Silverman had done Jaihu's Trip to the Future in 2008, it would, it would be considered a comedy classic of all time. Yeah, of course it would. 100%. Because actually, in a weird way, uh, this is not actually that dissimilar to her to her comedy stylings. Sam Hyde should ask her. She'd be like, can you do a read? Can you be Khaleesi? You should play, play Khaleesi in the movie. It should be Sarah Silverman. She's not uh, fat enough, and she doesn't have those perfect, uneven, watery breasts. Oh, the, uh, oh my God. I made a note about it. It was like uh, chest floppers. <laughs> <laughs> the, the descriptions that he does of Kylie and her, like every time she sits down, round like, lips, like a yeasty puff goes into the air, and he goes into this whole fucking soliloquy about like tossing a uh, pizza dough into the air and then like slapping the counter with like a yeasty. Yeah. Oh, he he describes her at the end of the book when he's like, uh, he's opining the fact that she's just she's finally dumped him and didn't just use her for her gorgeous uneven flop chest and perfect. Casimal brownish gray lipped cum dump. That's her pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> and one of the other like bits that I love is that he keeps talking about the Boston Dynamics organ hands G, but he never describes what the device is. It's just some weird sexual device that is the only thing Jahu can use to get Kylie Z off. Also, there's another thing, and like I brought this up earlier. Do you feel like there's any kind of meta layer to the book with Sam Hyde himself? Like, I think in his reading, like, he acknowledges that he's reading the book. And also, he actually even says in the beginning, it's like in the first part of the book, because I made a little note, that he says he's like, he's like, no, he's like, of course not. This, this book is totally not about me and me losing my fucking mind. And blah, it's not about me. So shut the fuck up. And then they just go back into the book. Yes, and uh, you know, and also the parts where he goes into like, uh, you know, says this is in very tiny print, and uh, it's printed in four, size four font. And also, 
well, I have this private space of size 4 font that no one can ever read. I'm also deadly serious about wanting my mom. I had to go to a therapist for three months because I asked my mom for a hand job after having a nervous breakdown. I told the therapist I was choking so I wouldn't have to go anymore. But I was serious! I'm expressing myself! Please, mommy, if you're reading this, let me fuck! I'm joking! And yeah. I masturbated with a pacifier in my mouth. And it's like, <laughs> yes, like, I think that, and, and like the bit, Okay, one of the craziest fucking bits is when he talks about how he caused an accident on the highway, and he like he knocks somebody into a Jersey barrier, and like he's so nervous about it that he looks it up sometime and tries to find out if he actually killed that person. Yeah, so you go ahead, you guys go ahead and behave however you want, but just know that I'm coming for you. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on you. You're jaywalking. I took your life. You were not in the crosswalk. I'm justified. I am legal and safe. <laughs> He's like, but I didn't really look it up for very long because my heart started to race and I didn't, I felt really bad about it. So I said, and dude, like, it's like, how much of that shit is actually real and how much of that shit is Sam Hyde being Sam Hyde? I kind of think that it's real. I think, no, I think some of it is. I, I honestly, because I think like good comedy is actually born out of things like that. And I think Sam Hyde like understands that. I think. That's what's so appealing about Sam Hyde. I think that's like why you and I have maybe like a weird, not that not that many other people don't, but like have almost like a connection to him. Like you feel like you kind of like understand Sam Hyde because his like his uh, his manic behavior. It feels like it kind of encapsulates almost like how you feel about the world, like how I feel about the world. You're just like. You get so frustrated, and this is something in my own life all the time. Like people think I'm angry. People will think I'm angry because I get passionate and I get animated. Uh, you know, when I'm talking about politics or the world or whatever, and they're, whoa, dude, calm down. I'm like, don't you care about anything? Don't you can give a fuck about anything. Like you can't get a little animated about shit you're talking about. We all have to act like we pretend like we're on a, having an NPR interview. Like and just like but calmly yeah. talk to each other and, and and suck on our Virginia Slims and people all have a self-installed you know it's just like uh, to bring it back to Jahu whenever he gets a uh, a seed of a negative thought especially one that's uh, you know connected to some sort of like ethnic hatred or something he uh, immediately gets this like ding inside of his head that like resets everything and he's like oh oh shit well it's time to fold and bag these shirts which by the way like the concept of him uh, going to a college that's basically a sweatshop is pretty good one right out of the gate i'm like okay because that's the first chapter is when like yeah halfway through the first chapter you're like okay this kid is in a sweatshop being a job was his life's calling or should i say his life was his job's calling and every minute spent in imaginary studies brought him closer to that dream. To be of use to a corporation, to increase their profits, cut expenses, and come up with great ad campaigns. It meant the world to Jaihu. Of course, between now and then, he would have to prove himself as an apprentice and work his way up by rolling rat droppings into bigger ping-pong ball-sized orbs and gulping them down whole. But once Greenco Feelwell saw what a diligent and true employee Jaihu could be, they'd be sure to let him on the fast track to success. And he really liked Greenco Feelwell in particular because they had a reputation for giving their employees their penises and testicles back as soon as they reach middle management, as opposed to many other companies that hang on to the important stuff until the executive level. 
and uh, you know they're they're they call it the <laughs> it's uh, uh, the New York University Yale Harvard Baby College official motto cum liberis fornicari non deprivatio sed consuetudo footnote plowing ahead with youth in hand mm -hmm. and uh, the classes are imaginary learning French fry mechanics and retail 101 and basically <laughs> I literally didn't write it down because I was like Dan will know that <laughs> and like you can you can uh, you can uh, uh, basically master in all these ridiculous like anti-learning is a thing you can get your master's degree in yeah and uh, that's where they do the anti-racist chi on the uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg uh, out by the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg Memorial by the Bill Gates 5G okay. and like everything's 5G or 8G everybody has like these uh, free will reducing 8G head caps on and there's the uh, when when Jahu goes to the his retail one oh one class, he's wearing the My Worker B, aka the My Sandeep. Retail one oh one was taught by Dr. Jacob Cohen, PhD, who was legendary not only across campus but throughout the world of commerce for inventing a special neck brace which maximized worker focus. The brace, the rights to which had been bought by Mahindra for God knows how much money, and branded the My Worker B in Namarak and the My Sandeep in India was a rather clever gizmo which used whistles, horns, LEDs, champagne confetti poppers, and needles to keep laborers zeroed in on mission-critical tasks such as making tortillas and stocking shelves. The cherry on the Sunday, An ingenious set of mechanical gears positioned on the back of the neck brace, which would cleverly snap the worker's cervical spine like a number two pencil should he or she be so unwise as to fall asleep well on the clock. Which uh, will like snap your spine if you fall asleep on the job, and like if you if your productivity decreases, it shoots out like flashbangs and shit. What I love actually about the college, thing, the the about the uh, the what is it, the Harvard Yale Baby College higher for higher learning. Yes, did I get that right? A Ronald McDonald play place for kids of every race. <laughs> well, because he they keep like he keeps coming back to it. He keeps referencing it, and every time he adds like a new layer of like. Because I think one of the last times he talks about it, he talks about like skull and bones. Yes, <laughs> it's like they're still like they're still thriving. They're still thriving, and now they're like a corporation that owns Disney and like all these other products. And then and stay tuned for more skull and bones fun spiracies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but like everything, like everything about like current culture, like the past few years, like I mean, he even gets in, like one of my favorite bits because I have another one, another one of my problems in my own life is uh, energy drinks. Jaihu took a sip of the bubbling brew and felt a pulse of refreshing energy right away. In fact, he felt his higher-order thinking come percolating back, albeit in a deranged and ethereal manner, much like you'd expect from a serial killer. He even remembered what numbers were, and thought he could wipe his own ass if he tried. The restorative beverage also had the slight side effect of rearranging his DNA and reducing his lifespan by 20 years while making him impotent, but it was really tasty. I was listening to that, and I was like, and I was probably drinking like a bang or something, and I was like, fuck. Because I know every time I take a sweet sip of that hot acid, that's what it's like. It's like drinking battery acid with flavoring. And, well, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, and, and of course, in the Sam Hyde uh, tradition of taking everything to the extreme, when Jaihu was in the far future, 
which, by the way, to the people listening at home, the story already takes place in the future. It takes it starts off in 2070, which he keeps referring to as two and a half years hence. Yeah. And then the rest of the story, when Jaihu actually goes into the future, is a hundred years after that. But when he goes into the future, things are so bad that like you have to eat like a, a nasty old oily rag. And the and and you have to put on a VR headset that makes it look like nice crispy chicken wings. And uh, you know that when when he meets Chips, who ends up being Jesus Christ. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he meets uh, he meets basically the robot uh, that you meet in Fallout New Vegas. Them's a pair of hollow legs. Should help you walk around a lot easier. <laughs> yes. The quest giver. Yeah. Yeah. He's putting on like this southern cowboy affect. The Western cowboy affect. Uh, Chips takes him to this diner where, like, Chips has like an old bloody tampon, and Jahu has, has like an oily rag, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, partner, I gotta put your VR headset on." <laughs> yes, VR headset on, and it's like, "Oh, well, these are nice crispy chicken wings, and you've got like a foot long chili dog." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" And like they go into the Sensano pods, where to get to your Sensano pod, you have to walk down. This like rusty hallway with like all these old electronic devices snapping at your heels and ankles and like, like all these old blackberries that are like uh, like the way he describes them is like those chattering Joker teeth yes. that are like, snapping at your and then you get into your sensato pod and you finally can like enter a different reality where uh, you know you're you're no longer living in this filth and there's stink pipes everywhere he keeps referring to these stink pipes that are everywhere. <laughs> Which is, a, is it's interesting that you brought that up because it is actually, it is the actual last line of the story proper is don't spend too much time in Sensato pods. Yes. Yeah, because that's that's where we're going. Whether it's a VR helmet, whether yeah. it's your fucking cell phone, whether it's your TV, like whatever you want. Like I would say maybe more your cell phone. Like that seems like the most direct like kind yeah. of thing where it kind of like sucks you into a fake world. Yes. Social media is a fake world. That's yes. not real. Nobody is being real. You're seeing fake moments from everybody, myself I mean, included. The, the device itself, before you even get into the virtual world, the device itself is intoxicating. My baby wants nothing more than to grab my cell phone and swipe around on the fucking screen. Hello, friends. I am Dr. Priyanka Jain, developmental and behavioral pediatrician. We, as a parent, are the main culprit. They are offering mobile during meal time, during night time, or in the evening also. Violent behavior, or up to the extent they can have depression, suicidal thoughts, or substance abuse. He doesn't know what it does. He does. He has no idea what it does. He has no idea what the the things that he's swiping around. He can't even get through the menu because Caitlin and I have both put uh, passwords on our phone, so he doesn't accidentally call the fucking state police like he did one time. <laughs> Like, it's a device that just completely sucks your brain in, and it's it's not even a pod. It's just a screen in your hand. No, but Imagine like, we all yeah. have a pod in our home. Or 50 years after we all have a pod in our home, when everybody there's a pod in everybody's room, like there's a TV in everybody's room. Yeah, now. you're talking. It's like we're heading into uh, Wally Terry. You ever see the movie Wally? No, but I know what it's about. I, I I went down. I played the Fallout Three quest when you go into that vault, when you go down memory lane, and you're in a, you see a screen in front of you when you go into virtual reality. Well, it's like it's just like when when Wally discovers humanity, he sees they're all fat and gross, and they're all 
on like these hover chairs and everything they do is automated because people just don't have like uh, tangible desires every anymore. It's all about kind of which is so bizarre coming from fucking Disney, but like it's just like this like the dangers of consumer culture. Well, I mean it's uh, predictive programming, but I mean uh, I agree with you. You 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 know listen whatever you think about coronavirus. The fact that 600,000 people died of basically a flu last year is not uh, a evidence of some kind of uh, Captain Trick's Stephen King The Stand super flu. It is evidence of every American uh, walking around with about six comorbidities at once. The last episode of 1000 RPM that I've never published because the quality on my new phone sucks is all about that. About how, look, maybe 600,000 people did die of COVID, but that's because every American's a fucking walking sack of shit. Well, that's, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do know this. Maybe you talked about it on this unpublished episode, which you should just give to me personally. Um, is that uh, over 70% of the people that died of COVID were overweight, like yeah, morbidly dude. obese? Dude. Have you gone around Well, My buddy Andy one time said the funniest thing that stuck with me. I don't know if he even remembers it. I sent him this video of some ridiculousness, these people in some public place making asses of themselves, fighting with a security guard. This woman ends up getting tased in front of her kids or something. You better, you better back. He texts me back. These are your countrymen. And when, and when he put it that way, it was like, holy shit. We are fucked. If you're going to hate America, hate it for the right reasons. These are countrymen. What's, what's it going to look like in 100 years when nobody leaves the fucking pod? Well, don't you think, like, in some ways, not to be conspiratorial, not to derail, but, like, this past year, I uh, was, like, kind of a, a test case for that kind of shit. What oh, will yeah. you put up with? What will you what will you conform to? And then when you have every influential person in the country basically simping for the state, when the state doesn't even know what's going on, giving out contradictory information, yada yada yada. Like it is dark times. <laughs> dark times ahead in my opinion. It I is darker than when Jahu came under the tutelage of the vampire lord Garmedios. Jesus, that dark, really? Yeah. Right. Um, but no, I mean seriously, <clears throat> these these sensanopods. Um, it's not like it's it's not like it's fucking coming pretty soon. It's fucking oh, it's already there. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah, we already have it. And like, <laughs> it's so encapsulating. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, computers because at this point, Jahu is still working with computers because his allegiance shifts like every fucking chapter to whoever's talking to him at that moment. Yeah. Um, he comes into the Sensatopod to, like, into the reality of the Sensatopod to, like, tell him it's time to conduct the next mission. And Jahu's like, yeah, um, can you hurry up and finish what you're talking about? Because I've got to kill my high school bully and then, like, have sex with all these hot Asians. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, that's going to be reality for a lot of people, for anybody who can afford it. <clears throat> well, that, but they're, I think they want to make it uh, consumer level, like, basic bitch consumer level. Like, that's what, like, Oculus... I mean, that's not even that expensive. Like, that's cheaper than a new Xbox. You can get a fucking iPhone 7 for 100 bucks on eBay. You can get one of those cardboard... They have yeah, cool, slide like, yeah. cardboard slide-in things 
turn the lights off in your room, put the headphones in, slide the thing in, smoke a bunch of pot, which I would never do, um, and then just kind of float away into the night. And listen, I know what it's like to want to relax at the end of the day, but I've always had a phrase, you got to earn your fallout. If you haven't found out or if you haven't figured it out by this far in the podcast, it's pretty much the only video game I've played in the last six years. Um, but, like, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you can earn that shot of 151, and you can earn sitting in front of the TV, but you got to earn it. you got to do something for it. Yeah. And there is no sense of earning anything uh, long-term anymore. When I was in, not when I was in high school, directly after high school, sort of we were partying all around Keene, with the kids who went to Keene State and shit, I started to get real jaded on the whole like partying thing. I was like 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I thought to myself was like, what the fuck are we celebrating? Like we go out every night. We fuck, and I wasn't talking about my particular group of friends because we were all kind of all jaded on the whole thing anyway ourselves. <clears throat> I was talking about like the party scene in, in, in the larger sense. Like kids yeah. are kids across America in colleges just like partying like what the fuck are we celebrating just the fact that we have the money the time and the opulence to do it like what did we win what are we celebrating and it, you know the truth is we're just that's it we're just celebrating that we have the fucking time to do it and we're like four generations uh, separated from having earned it in the first place yeah I agree so now all people want to do it's you know that old adage of having to add more days to the bread and circus. And that's what the Sensato pod, the VR thing is, is just how long can we keep the sensory perception going? How long can we, uh, you know, keep people on this track where they're uh, as physically productive during the day as we need them to be so that we can make our sort of financial quotas for the larger economy and then stuff them into their cells at the end of the day where they just sit in front of a blinking screen. How can we drill down on the perfection of the television so that nobody's doing anything. You know, it's crazy. But well, it's not... It's, and it was, it's actually something also in the book where they're just like, it's like, if we can get people to just do, like, kind of meaningless, tedious tasks over and over again, like, we'll have... We'll be able to uh, make them feel like they're doing something and uh, have full control of them. Yeah, like, before the book-ripping contest, when Jahu gets the job at the book-ripping factory, where it's like, okay, in the future, we just need to have jobs produced. So Computez has set up a scenario where we had all these old books because nobody reads anymore. So we'll set up these factories where people just rip them and throw them into incinerators. But now we have those people who need those jobs. Now we still need people to make new books. So we'll make new books, but not for the purpose of people to read, but for the people in the book ripping factory to have a job. And it's just this like, you know, it's not too far of a stretch from having like a diversity coordinator in an office. Yeah. But just like writ large, like in the most broadest concept, like this kind of meaningless position that has to be literally uh, not even created, but it's not just created. Like you can create the position, then you have to feed the need for it. And then you have to understand the ideological and the psychological effect of the people that work for a company that has those things and like what that actually like means to people. Like, like a position doesn't just exist in like an ephemeral state forever. It's not just a meaningless thing. It needs a purpose, and you have to give it a purpose. And to give things like this a purpose, you basically—and I kind of like this. Like, there's a weird subtext 
or a subtle subtext to the book ripping stuff is like your history doesn't matter your culture doesn't matter like the, your accomplishments don't matter like people we have we have bled sweat died to get these words to the next generation of people created the fucking printing press like we did so many things just to pass this stuff down the line somehow we created religion we created com- the internet we created computers we created all these things just to store our our legacy as human beings and then symbolically in the future we don't even get we just rip it apart because it gives us something to do and that's actually i think a very prescient point because that's what we are doing right now we are eating ourselves alive because people have it sometimes too good or or i would say the people with the loudest microphones have it so good they are completely detached from the normal reality of the day-to-day person and how important those things are to people and to their progress, they take everything for granted and they are willing to eviscerate it. Like that's like postmodernism in a encapsulated. Like this idea that like you can just destroy everything because it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't mean anything to people that have free access to this and can do nothing but sit around and read books all day. Well that shit means things to other people. Like that means something to a a generation or a class of people that doesn't have that. Like, imagine somebody, how excited somebody is when they stumble upon something like, well, like we were talking about earlier, Kafka's The Trial. That could inspire them in a thousand different ways. Or coming even across the Bible, that could inspire people in a thousand different ways. And I thought it was a very, it's a very uh, pointed commentary that it could probably be missed because you could just look at it and be like, oh, that's funny. And that's kind of the brilliance of the book. The book is filled with shit like that. There's these these little layers, these little these little things that are just like if you, you start really thinking about it, you're like, oh, well, that's way deeper than I would have ever have imagined if I had just kind of passively listened to this. Right. And he even makes mention during the book ripping contest, like, it would be a shame if you happened to be a librarian who had been there at that moment when he was ripping all these books. And then he like he lists all these books that some of them I don't even know what they are. They just sound like they're ancient and priceless. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, again having done his homework, he creates the world, and like you said, you know, this ancient Catholic Bible that is a relic of an entire religion. Just falls down a chute into this dumbfounded, stoned teenager's hands, and he just rips it and throws it into an incinerator. And it's just one of thousands of books that he rips that day as a book ripping contest against his rival. Yeah, his rival who is a rival because this kid canceled him on a Tumblr post. Yes, uh, Jaihu's shadow self, basically his. Yeah, Sean, his, aka Sean, uh, aka yeah. Dan and I often joke because our we've come to find out that our tastes are so like similar. Like we've been living like parallel lives <laughs> without having actually spoken to each other for probably like a, a close to probably more than a decade yes. before last year. Um, but yes, yes, I am Necromancer Z. Bice, some Bice. would say. I love how yeah, every time he pronounces it. It's, Bice. He doesn't just say bice. He goes, bice. bice. <laughs> There's so many things in that, like you said, like Sam Hyde's character brings so much to the reading. Like, uh, it, you know, when they're in the future, everything's connected to, okay, for the listener at home, everything is connected to the mega net. You're going to love this net. 
Okay, mm-hmm. that's how you have to say that's the that's the name of the company, Meganet. You're gonna love this net, but you can't just say it like that. And I can't even say it because I'm gonna wake the baby up. But and and he does this for almost every instance of saying Meganet through the book. He goes, Meganet, you're gonna love this net. <laughs> and you can just and he talks about how in the future, like you have you're legally expected to show like genuflection to these brands and yes, you yeah. will get arrested if you don't like like if you see an ad and you don't say a mini prayer for the brand you'll like get arrested so like you can by extension expect that if you don't say Meganet, you're gonna love this net that like somebody's gonna bust through the wall and arrest you well it, it, what i liked about like that whole thing with like the brands and stuff like kind of representing like virtue like that's Ah, exactly the world we live in right now. Like, especially over the past year, look at any major corporation, everybody putting out, like, solemn, like, Nike fucking Foot Locker putting out a solemn statement about the state of, like, the policing in our country. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, nobody, are you, do you think that's going to matter? But people love it. People eat it up. Like, thank you for standing in solidarity with, thank you, JCPenney. Thank you for standing in solidarity with the people that need you most. And, and not even just like standing in solidarity with uh, things that are going on, but corporations actually conspiring together to say, like, we don't like this legislation that's going through, so we are going to like stand against it as a block and shame and humiliate all these people that are trying to put it through. The corporations who have billions and billions of dollars, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. And... To think that they have that much power now, like if you're Sam Hyde and you want to project it out 100 years into the future, uh, how ridiculous is it going to be? What kind of controls are they going to have over our lives? Yeah, but it's not just that. It's the reaction to them making these kind of like kind of lofty statements because like as the way they describe it in the in the in the novel is that like it is kind of they've become because I, I was raised Catholic, so I made this connection. I was like, oh, they're like saints. They venerate Mastercard. They venerate. Uh, Foot Locker, like I, like they just like they venerate companies because of like some virtuous position they have taken, and I I was like oh, I was like oh that's really interesting like that's big but it is also very much what's going on right now, uh, like I'm a person like I'm a, I I have a Twitter account so I read a lot of Twitter and I I mostly am there just because I talk to people about movies and stuff, but I see everything that goes on and I see people just like, it is like cult like behavior in a way that like would really scare you like really terrify you like people like take these like 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 how is how has marvel how has disney become so meaningful to like an entire generation of people like this is art this is philosophy and it's like no dude like it's not like and you're and you're a, a grown-ass man and you should not be crying because disney just reopened welcome back everyone welcome home minnie couldn't hold back their tears. They're happy tears. Yes. I promise. They're happy tears. The Beigel family got here at 2.30 this morning to wait outside the gate just to be some of the first inside the park. Quarter 12 days. We gotta keep moving though. We do. Let's see what they have waiting for us around the corner. I can't believe we're back. Disneyland is everything to us. Like you should shut the fuck up. You shouldn't be sharing this. It's embarrassing. But even beyond that, but it shows you that they are actually like slaves to this stuff on a much deeper level than just liking something. Like Dan and I, like we like movies, we like a lot of stuff. Like we, but we like it. But you put it in perspective. 
you put it in perspective. You, you like you, you try to you get what you get out of it, but it is not your life. It's not your life. <laughs> it's not except for that. It's not your life. And these people like literally fall apart at the idea that you would criticize it or or do whatever. Just because, look, because we as comic book movie fans, we can be overly sensitive little whiny babies sometimes. I'll include myself in that. All of us, comic book movie fans, it's like, you know, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's great. Somebody said something about not loving comic book movies. Boo! How can you sit there and say, make qualifying statements about a movie genre that you have already self-admittedly said you've never fucking watched? We can be overly sensitive little whiny babies sometimes. Cause I like I like trolling, uh, some like Star Wars people and Marvel people on Twitter. It's so easy. It's so easy. I I made a I made a tweet one time about uh, how Kelly Marie Tran, who plays a a character in The Last Jedi, she got tons of like apparently like hate mail and stuff like that because her character was so bad. Rose Tico from The Last Jedi. So I said it was a setup by Disney because they hate Asian people. That was like kind of the gist of my tweet. So I got retweeted by some like Star Wars <laughs> like Twitter account. I got a bunch of people like acting like that was a serious statement. Like it was so e it's so easy to bait these people because they're so emotionally connected to it in a way that is I think unhealthy in my opinion. Well yeah, but, I mean... but you but you could see how this future could happen. Like, you could see how this future could happen right fucking now. It is already here for some people, and it's through the entertainment industry. Now, you take that, and you pull that out into an abstraction, like, just like in the book, MasterCard. Islam won't bend the knee to MasterCard. Well, gotta get rid of the Islam. Obviously not virtuous. Look what MasterCard's saying. They're saying some pretty good shit. Uh, you don't like MasterCard? You won't bend the knee to MasterCard? This is our saint. This is our patron saint of, uh, you know, good policing or whatever. Or the Chaps Ralph Lauren universe. Yes, I actually. You want to enter the Chaps that. Ralph Lauren universe? Just close your eyes and pretend what our user agreement will be. Click here to join the world of Chaps. The audiobook has a digital sensor embedded in it. All you have to do is scream really loud, and you will automatically be subscribed to the Chaps Ralph Lauren mailing list. To view our privacy policy, simply close your eyes and imagine what our privacy policy is. To accept, stop imagining it and open your eyes. You have accepted. You are now in the world of Chaps Ralph Lauren. The rest of the book takes place in the Chaps Ralph Lauren universe. You cannot leave the Chaps Ralph Lauren universe. The Marvel MCU and the DC Comics universe and the Star Wars universe all take place in the Chaps Ralph Lauren universe. You are now in Chaps Ralph Lauren Universe. The Chaps Ralph Lauren Universe is base reality. There is no reality or simulation or layer of existence higher than Chaps Ralph Lauren. You are now existing in the Chaps Ralph Lauren world. You are now an unwitting brand ambassador for Chaps Ralph Lauren. You are going to only purchase Chaps Ralph Lauren from now on, and you will tell your friends that you are a Chaps Ralph Lauren wearer. You will tell your friends. You will name your son Chap. Your second son will be named Ralph. And your daughter will be named Loren. Your family will be Chap's Ralph Loren. 
If you are a man, you will marry a woman named Loren. If you are a woman, you will marry a man named Chaps. Then open your eyes. If you open your eyes, you have accepted the user agreement. You are now in the Chaps Ralph Loren universe. Like that whole bit, that whole like three and a half minute bit about being stuck inside the traps around around the universe. Like those, those little tangents and those little sides really make the entire fucking thing for me. Because mm -hmm. now, you know, I will never go through my life and see, I'll never walk into a store and see like Chaps Ralph Lauren and not be like, I am in the base timeline of Chaps Ralph Lauren. I am the Chaps, the Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Marvel DCU <laughs> universes are in the Chaps universe like you know it's just like but, but it's so it's a weird thing because you and i are both like we we grew up like kind of being nerds like into star wars into lord of the rings and that stuff is meaningful to us and i would never suggest it isn't but the meaningfulness comes from like the comes from the point of the story it doesn't come from like being a sycophant those things actually have in them well, the original trilogy, and then Lord of the Rings especially, it has in them baked into it philosophy, heroism, uh, the hero's journey, like all of these first instances where we learned about what these things were, what they meant. It gave you an anchor. It gave you something tangible to look at. But it's I, for me, it's just never been... I don't know. I'm not like sycophantic in the way that like I would start uh, augmenting my life for it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's something so like it's a replacement for family. Which my my baby is crying right now. I might have to actually go do something about that in a moment if Caitlin's really asleep. No but uh, you know, it's 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 like people are so atomized; they're so in their own little worlds. You know, we live in a world where family dinner is everybody going to the kitchen to grab some food to put on your plate so you take it up to your room and like watch TV show by yourself while you eat. I mean, that's a really scary place for a civilization to be in. That's, that's, a, that's a setup for a lot of psychosis. That's a setup for um, uh, just people not having any connectivity to one another and the next generation. And it's a great thing for capitalists. It's a great thing for the entertainment industry. It's a great thing for the leisure and tech industries because uh, you know, the more atomized and lonely people get, the more they will turn to their distractions. And distractions yeah. cost money. Exactly. Good, great, fantastic point. Very pressing. Yeah. So you know, once we find the power of expression, and everyone learns how to express themselves, and uh, like that's that's one of the most annoying slash brilliant parts of the book, where the chorus of like souls comes through the firmament and starts singing like. Uh, the power of expression song, like whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, yeah. The voices, all million, million, million of them, clambered over each other at once, proclaiming, intoning, blackmailing, terrorizing. They screamed into his being, drowning him in metaphors, in stories, myths, explanations. There were too many. Each faceless creature boasted of its cosmic significance, its tally of blood sacrifices, and each contradicted the last. As Jai, whose ears bled, he was reminded of rats scurrying over each other, hundreds of them, threatening to self-suffocate in a giant pile. The astral browbeating continued. <laughs> well, it's, but it's also, like, the book touches on this idea of, like, the secular religions, 
And uh, I guess they call it nowadays, what, like, scientism? That's, like, another word for it. And um, not I'm not a religious person myself, but I do value... I was raised Catholic, you know, pretty hardcore Catholic for a lot of my life. Like, and I really do value that upbringing. It's something I struggle with, actually, with my own kid, because I was like, well, I think a lot of that actually really formed my moral foundation and uh, who I am as a person, because I was... I lived that life as a child. Like, that was, like, my formative years, I was inundated with that stuff. And in the, in the, in Jaihu, they, they definitely, he's definitely talking about, I think in some respect, like, the idea of, like, the secularization, like, people need, for lack of, like, for a cheesy way to put it, it's like, people got, you got a God-sized hole inside of you, buddy. You gotta fill it with something. Like, and, like, that's kind of what people do. That's kind of what people have done. Like, that's what you see out in the world right now. It's like, people aren't into philosophy. They're not into religion anymore. They're not into the... But they fill it with this vapid, fucking stupid, like, empty, virtuous bullshit that they think means something. That They think it does good. They think it's virtuous. They think it's sin. They think it's sin and virtue. That's how they look at everything. Like, I, I constantly... Because we talk about movies on, uh, on this channel a lot. Like people think that they need to feel like they are doing a good deed by buying a movie ticket. So if a movie doesn't align with your their worldview, oh fuck, they have a problem with it. And like people need that; they actually need those processes, those structures in their lives to find meaning and purpose. And I and I think that's part of the struggle. Like especially when Jai who goes to twenty one seventy seven, and he's kind of having this out of body experience. It's like this process of like. Of trying to invent a god. You're trying to invent something to care about. Like, that's the entire society is built around. This idea that, like, I need to invent something to give a shit about, but it's also so part of this kind of woke, bureaucratic, Kafkaesque bullshit that nobody is, like, uh, has the integrity or the intelligence or the strength to just, like, fucking go for it and just say, like, this is the thing we should be doing. Nobody wants to be in that position. Even the AI is like wishy-washy. Like it's so even though human beings in this kind of timeline, I suppose maybe in our at, at some point, they've developed like these AIs, this machine goddess and stuff to keep everybody in line. Even they're even they're full of shit. Even they're wishy-washy. They're like wishy-washy. And, and and one of the things that keeps coming up is all these uh, weird AI bots and programs and overlords and even God himself, every time they go through one of these diatribes that turns out to just be a bunch of fucking hot air, uh, towards the end they always look back to make sure that uh, the person they're talking to is impressed or stupefied. You know what I mean? And uh, everyone from uh, Professor Joyce Nelsbaum to God himself is like constantly checking the face of the person that they're talking to to make sure that they're impressed at the bullshit they're spouting. And, uh, you know, it's it's great. No, because that's I think that's so much of like what even like the uh, the gurus of the modern day. So many of them are just looking around like for validation from their peers, from whoever. You know, I'll say this: I know people give this dude a lot of shit, and I don't like. Not like a, a an acolyte or anything, but I think like Jordan Peterson has probably been the most like healthy thing that's happened to people in the past like ten years. 
Oh, certainly, yeah. Like, because it's such basic bullshit. You shouldn't even have to be told these things. You should have a fucking dad or a mom or somebody who tells you these very basic, rudimentary things. But people don't. And that's what's so fucking sad. We are an entire civilization that is living off of MREs. Okay? And, and this is coming from a person who literally buys military MREs and like eats them as a hobby. That's because you like to party, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, we have an entire civil... Like, the, only, the only tangible difference between a military MRE and Betty Crocker is that there's, like, a, a, uh, a like smiling black lady on the front of the, of the syrup packet, okay? Like, it's all made out of the same garbage shit. And we're living off of survival food. Like, we're an entire civilization living off of survival food. Our entire method of survival is to take food out of a packet warm it up to 160 degrees and slop it into our mouths. Yeah. Our, our machines do our washing for us. We have fucking Roombas that go around and suck up all of our potato chip crumbs and shit. We, we don't have to do anything. And so nothing is important. And it's, it's almost like um, the less you have to do, the less important shit becomes and the more disconnected you become with the actuality of the world around you. 100%. I totally agree. Well, that's about as good a place to stop as any. Thank you for listening to part one of this Jai Who's Trip to the Future review slash analysis. And uh, don't forget to come back and uh, go ahead and grab part two on your Spotify's, on your Apple's, on your uh, Google Podcasts, on your stupid fucking stupid fucking ass. Fucker fuck. Stupid fuck.